2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm glad he can hit those high notes, by the way. That's, that's, that's good. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I have to just tell you right up front, there's certain chapters and verses in the Bible that have a lot of meaning for me because through the experiences of life, these verses, these chapters seem to intersect over and over and over with the circumstances that I face, with the failures that I've experienced, with the successes and the victories that by God's grace have been won. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, the whole chapter is really one of those passages that I find myself coming to over and over and over again. One of the most famous verses in this chapter, if you've ever been a part of an Awana club, you know 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And you probably know that Awana, A-W-A-N-A, -A, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, is uh, broadly where they took that from. I always wondered, how do you come up with Awana? That's not even a word in English, but that's where it comes from a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. So the whole chapter, we're going to sort of look at several pieces, different themes within this chapter. But I'd like you, we haven't stood for a while, let's stand together. We're going to read together 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's read in unison verses 1 through 7. And kids, pay attention. There's three professions or or hobbies or vocations that are mentioned here. I want you to see if you can pick out what those three are in these first seven verses. Let's read together 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say. And the Lord give thee understanding in all things. That's what we're going to do is consider what God says. Remain standing for prayer and then you may be seated. Father, thank you. Thank you for these men who are impacted over this uh, last weekend, Friday, Saturday particularly, by the preaching and the fellowship. I know I was blessed. I know your spirit spoke to me. I know that it was important for us to be there. And uh, Lord, this morning, again, you met with us, uh, your promise that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. Again, we saw that this morning, Sunday morning, right here in this building. And we thank you for meeting with us this morning. We pray that you'll meet with us again tonight. We pray that your Holy Spirit would have that free reign to bring to my attention, to our attention, failures, sins that we need to confess to bring successes and, and victories to our attention so we can thank you and praise you for it. Lord, we want to be Christians that are your servants, Christians that are strong in the grace that is in your Son, Jesus Christ. We want to be effective in our ministry. So we ask that th this message tonight and the testimony of these men would motivate us and would instruct us. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Verse 1, and this is why I love this chapter. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Everything we're going to talk about tonight, everything we're going to talk about tonight, 
you need God's grace to do. I grew up sometimes thinking, you know, I had to try harder. I've got to try a new method. I've got to do more. I've got to be this or I've got to be that. And yes, there's cooperation with God's grace. But it's always God's grace that enables us to be the men and women of God that we desire to be, that enables us to be men and women of faith, that enables us to be good fathers and good mothers, good husbands and good wives, faithful children. All of that is only because of God's grace. So I'm not going to come back to that. Well, we will come back to it one more time at the end, but I want to start there. So you don't, as we go through this, you don't get the thought, well, boy, I'm not doing that very well. I have to try harder. You do need to cooperate, but you desperately, I desperately need God's grace to be the, the Christian that God calls me to be. So keep that in mind throughout this whole message. Now, children, I asked you to, to pay careful attention and notice the three vocations or avocations there in the first seven verses. So I'm going to call on a child, anyone younger than 18, notice what the first uh, uh, group of people mentioned in that passage was. What was the first group of people? Yes, Cutler. Soldiers, right? Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier. Excellent, Cutler. Second one. Cutler got the easy one. What's the second one there? One of the children. Yes, Bella. Farmers. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruit. Husbandman is a type of farmer. Good. So we got farmers. We've got soldiers. What's that third group? Cutler, you've answered. Bella's answered. Someone who's not Cutler or Bella, who's younger than 18. And then we're going to open it up to the adults. Yes, uh, Isaac. You know, that's a good guess, but there's no teacher. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. Be able to teach others also. Thank you, Isaac. You know, I've got to rewrite my notes now because I don't have that group in there, but it is in verse two. There's another group, though, between the soldiers, between the farmers. There's a group that's striving for mastery. What, what, what would we call that group of people? Anyone? Yes, Peter. Athletes. You got soldiers, you got athletes, you got farmers. And when I rewrite this, Isaac, I'll include the teachers. But soldiers, athletes, and farmers. We're going to look at some things that soldiers, athletes, and farmers have in common tonight. Some things that soldiers, athletes, and farmers have in common. Now, the first thing that we're going to see is that if you are a soldier or you're an athlete or you're a farmer, you know what it all requires? It always requires commitment. Commitment. By the way, that's why they have you enlist as a soldier. Some of, how many of you have enlisted in the military before? And whenever you enlist, you sign up for a period of time, don't you? Four years, sometimes five years, I understand now. Some people are enlisting for six years. Why do they make you sign up for a certain period of time first, do you think? Someone who's been in the military, why do you think they don't just let you go to boot camp for a couple weeks and see if you like it? They make you sign up for a certain period of time. Yes, AJ. Yeah, get their money's worth. Yes, David. Right, right. Yeah, he's, he's mentioning that sometimes in case of war, you're even required to stay past your enlistment. You can't just go home because your enlistment's up. But here's my point. It takes a certain amount of commitment to be a good soldier. And I know myself, if you said to me, hey, you can go to boot camp, I'd last a couple of days and I'd say, I'm going to go home. I'm tired of this. I, I, people yelling at me all the time, telling me when to get up, when to go to bed. I'm going to go home. But you can't because you've signed up for a certain period of time. 
the difference I've, I've played on a lot of teams, sometimes just sort of pick up basketball and, and uh, pick up soccer, even uh, different things. And then I played on some more serious teams. The difference between just playing for fun, in my mind, and being part of a team that has a purpose is there's a level of commitment here. You've got to have the whole team committed. If they're not committed, if they're just out to have fun, you know, you're not going to accomplish very much. One of my acquaintances, I've not t- talked to him for some years, but he played uh, on the defensive line for Notre Dame, the college in Indiana. He was, had 12 and a half sacks for Notre Dame in his career. Played in every game that he was uh, uninjured during his uh, four years there at Notre Dame. Great player. 300 pounds, 6'4", huge guy. He said what bothered him the most was people on the Notre Dame team that were not there to win a championship. He said, I went to Notre Dame because I wanted to win a championship. Now I can tell you in the four years he was there, they didn't win a championship. And partly, according to his, his uh, uh, testimony, it's because there was a lack of commitment. Now we're going to talk number two about training. Soldiers and athletes in particular, but even farmers, benefit from training. But there's no benefit to training without commitment. Go back to soldiers. We, you, you enlist for a certain period of time. Because when the training gets tough, you're tempted to quit. When the training becomes uncomfortable, you're tempted to say, you know, I'm done with this. And we need, first of all, commitment. Now, here at Elmira Baptist Church, my goal for our church, and I've expressed this to you before, is that we are a training church. The preaching provides the, the biblical, intellectual, emotional basis for that training, but we're here to train you. That's why I, I encourage these men to give a testimony. Because we need some training in public speaking, in expressing what God has done in our hearts to a group of men. Chuck referenced the fact that on Wednesday night, I told the men we were, we were looking at the discipline of work, in disciplines of a godly man. And I said to the men, what I'm going to do is we're going to go through this chapter and then I'm going to ask one of you men to present this same material plus material you've added to it to the church on a, on a Sunday night. I noticed attendance went down. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm not saying why. I just noticed it went down. And Chuck's right. I'm sure a lot of men thinking they're up, not me. Not going to ask me to do it. At least Chuck's honest about it. We want to be a church that trains men. I am so grateful when we have men and women come from other places in the United States, some of you even from overseas, come to Elmira Baptist Church and you already know things about the Bible. You already can be plugged into our ministries, whether it's with children or with the teens or with adults or teaching a Sunday school class. That's fantastic. Somebody trained you. We want to be that kind of church. So that when the Lord calls you somewhere else to another church, the pastor says, where did you get all this training? That's what we want to be. But here, if we're going to be a church that trains you, I need you to be committed. I need you to be committed. Now, I know I'm preaching to the Sunday night crowd. That shows a level of commitment. But I need you to be committed to come more than just Sunday morning and Sunday night. Commitment means arranging my priorities so the important things get done. Commitment means arranging my priorities so that the important things get done. I've mentioned this to you before, but in my own life, whenever I find myself getting ready to say to someone, I'm too busy to do that, or I don't have enough time to do that, when I find myself about to say that, and occasionally you'll catch me saying that, I go back in my mind and I say, okay, now really, what is more important than whatever I'm saying I won't do? 
because there, I can't do everything. I have to prioritize my time. And so here's my first priority. Here's the most important thing that I have to do as a pastor, and that is spend time with God each day. That's my number one, right there at the top. George Mueller had a saying written in his Bible that the most, something like this, I'm paraphrasing, the most important uh, task I have to do today is to spend time with God. It's true. And it's true for you too. The most important commitment you need to make, the most right there at the top is spend time with God each day. Read his Bible, pray to him, meditate on his word. Some people incorporate singing as part of that. That's fine. But spend time with God every day. Not just the days you feel like it. Not just the days we have extra time. Not just your days off every single day. It means arranging my priorities so the important things get done. I'm not going to give you a list of priorities, but that's number one. Second, commitment means exchanging excuses for action. Now, Chuck, I don't know if you knew this when you got up and gave your testimony, but the Holy Spirit gave you some really good ideas. You notice that he said he had all these excuses lined up like, like bottles on a fence, right? And the Holy Spirit just kept shooting them down. Commitment means you know what your excuses are and you say, yep, can't, nope, can't, can't put up with that one. Nope, can't abide that one. Nope, that one's not going to stop me either. Commitment requires that I exchange excuses for actions. That's what it requires. There are people here, and I'm not going to call anyone out, but I know, I know when I come to you to ask you to do something, you will give me an excuse. I know. Now, I don't know what the excuse will be, but I know you're going to give me an excuse. Trust me, I have better excuses than you do. I was a teacher for years. The things that kids would come up with for not doing their homework, I mean, they came up with some really doozies, you know. I don't need your excuse. What I need you to do is say, Pastor, the Lord is not leading me to do that because here's my priority. I, I can live with that. You know, you don't need to do everything I ask you to do, but I need you to discern what priority the Lord's giving you that's more important than what I'm asking you to do. And tell me what that is so that we can move forward as a church. Because I don't need excuses, and you don't need excuses either. Uh, ben Carson, who came out of poverty to become a neurosurgeon, said this, if you don't accept excuses, pretty soon people will stop giving you excuses and begin to think of solutions. So many times we see things as impossible because we've already got an excuse in our head, and we're not going to even try. And as Christians, commitment means we're going to push those excuses off the table and we're going to lay out the possibilities. And we're going to do that by faith because if God's called us to do something, he's going to give us the resources and he's going to give us the ability and he's going to give us the motivation to do it. But we must be committed. Until you and I are committed, we can't move to this next stage, which is training. We can't. It would be like, okay, I'm going to try the military. Well, as soon as you get to boot camp, you're going to go home. As soon as they tell you your first duty station is, uh, what is it, Thule in Greenland, you're going to go home. Uh, by the way, we laugh, but Larry uh, Jacobs was sent out to Greenland for a whole year. Boy, you tell me I'm going to Greenland, I'm going home. I'm not going to go to Greenland. First time they tell me, okay, you're going to go to the Middle East. I'm not going to the Middle East, I'm going home. Without commitment... There's no point in training. But the second thing we see that athletes and soldiers in particular need, but even farmers need, is training. 
I was reading a biography of Benjamin Netanyahu that was given to me last Christmas, and I'm just getting, just getting around to it. It has nothing to do with what's going on in the Middle East right now. But he was asked by uh, Ariel Sharon in uh, the early 2000s, about 20 years ago now, he was asked by Ariel Sharon, who was the prime minister of Israel at the time, to be the finance minister for, for, uh, uh, for Israel, Israel's finance minister. The problem was Netanyahu really wasn't interested in the finance ministry, but he decided to take the job, and you can read his biography for him, but he decided to take the job because it fit into his strategic vision. But here's the problem. He got to the finance minister and he thought to myself, what do I do? What do I do? And here I'm going to read to you from his book, quote, moving into the dilapidated quarters of the finance ministry, I remembered the wise words of a British management consultant. Visiting Israel in 1980, he gave a lecture to an audience consisting mostly of young executives, many of whom, like me, had served as officers in the Israeli army. The management consultant asked, you've been given command of new recruits and your mission is to conquer the enemy's command post. What is the first thing you do? Remember, he's asking this of former Israeli soldiers. The answers came quickly. Reconnaissance and collect intelligence. Develop a plan of attack. Leave sufficient covering fire and approach from the flank. Wait for nightfall to begin movement. The lecturer let his audience members exhaust themselves and then said simply, you're all wrong. The first thing you should do is pitch your tent, pick your officers, and then order the ordnance sergeant to equip your men with gear and weapons. The second thing you must do is drill your soldiers. Only after you have staffed equipped and train your force, can you go out to face the enemy? Training is absolutely essential to what we do here at Elmira Baptist Church. I, we can't train you unless there's a level of commitment. But once you're committed, we need training. We need training. Uh, hold your place in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and look with me at Ephesians quickly. I don't want to go too many places because I know I'm already running late. And we do want to have a choir meeting tonight because we're going to sing Lord willing next Sunday at the at the Thanksgiving banquet so I need to get that in as well <clears throat> but Ephesians chapter 4 look at with me at verse 11 Ephesians 4 11 we've looked at this verse before God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ that's training you need training. I need training. We all need training if we're going to be effective soldiers. We need training if we're going to be successful athletes. We need training if we're going to be farmers who can raise a crop. But before all that training, what do we need? Commitment. Let me try that again. Before all that training, what do we need? Commitment. 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 I, I, can't, I can train you, but I can't commit you. You have to commit yourself. Training. Let's look at training for a second. Soldiers, athletes, farmers all require training. What are some things, types of training that are mentioned in this passage? Well, first of all, verse 15, study to show thyself approved unto God. This was mentioned at the men's meeting, and it's a good reminder. The preaching on Sunday, even the preaching Sunday night and Sunday morning, even if you came to Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, Meeting those four times each week is not enough Bible study for you. Any more than you would eat four times a week. 
and feel like that was enough eating for you. Most of us probably eat every day. And if you're not eating every day, it's because you've been told to fast so you can have a blood test or you have surgery coming up. Most of us eat several times a day. But when it comes to the Word of God, there's a lot of Christians, they say to their pastor, feed me. Now, I'll do my best to prepare. Scotty, Jesse, as our, as our Sunday school teachers, do a great job preparing and feeding you. But you also need to be eating Monday through Saturday. I remember it at the Christian school where I would teach. Sometimes the students would say to me, well, we have a Bible class every day, so why do I need to read God's Word? I said, well, you don't pay attention to Bible class either. <laughs> but we need God's Word. You need to be studying God's Word. You need to be studying God's Word. You need to read your Bible. You need to study your Bible by reading good authors. You need to come to, Bible, uh, to, to our times of worship where the Bible is going to be taught. Bring a notebook. Take notes. Go home, look at those notes, remind yourself of the good teaching. And here's the goal, here is the goal of studying the Bible, it's to teach others. And Isaac was right about that. Look at verse 2 with me again, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Go down to the end of the chapter, verse 24. And the servant of the Lord, this is 2 Timothy 2, verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach. That's why on Wednesday night, I said, okay, man, I'm going to teach you this material. And then one of you is going to get up and teach it to the church on a Sunday night. Because you know how I learn material well? I teach it. I was asked to teach for, on a couple of occasions, I've been asked to teach Algebra 2. I don't know Algebra 2. I really don't. Don't tell my students that. In fact, sometimes I'd be only be a couple lessons ahead of them, you know. And they would ask me a question, and I'd be like, you know, let's stay, stay focused on this topic. Let's stay right here. And then a couple weeks later, that same issue would come up, and the book would answer. And I'd say, now, remember a couple weeks ago, so-and-so, Matt, asked me about this particular topic. Here's why we studied that. I didn't know that two weeks before. I had no idea. Now, I didn't tell them that. First rule of a teacher, never let your students know you don't know. <laughs> I always would say, you know, that, that's a great question. We don't have time to look at that today, but let's do it, right? Always, boy, okay, there's a lot of things about teaching, but here's my point. You need to be a teacher. Who are you teaching? Who are you teaching? Now, if you're a parent, I'll tell you who you're teaching. You're teaching your children. Teach your children. Take the things you hear on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night at Sunday school. Take the things you learn from your personal study of God's word every day and teach them to your children. In addition, are there other Christians here in this church that you can teach? Are there opportunities where I say, hey, I need a man to teach on a Sunday night or I need a man to, uh, to substitute for Scotty or for Jesse while, while they're away? Look for opportunities to teach. Now, some of you, you're spiritually at a place where you're not ready to do that. I, I don't expect every single man to be ready to do that. But that's the goal of your Bible study is to be able to teach others also. Hebrews, we've looked at this verse before, Hebrews 5.20, Hebrews 5.12 says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers... There's an expectation in spiritual, as you grow in spiritual maturity, that you are going to teach others. 
Now, I try just on an average week and a week where things are, there's no unusual events. I try to meet with three to four different people, one-on-one or one-on-two, just to teach them the Bible. Now, I am so grateful that the Lord has given me the type of job where I can do that. I don't expect you all to do that. But if you've been saved for 10, 20, 30 years, I expect you to be meeting with somebody to teach them the Bible. Find somebody that needs to learn the Bible. Say, hey, can we get together once a week? Can we get together twice a month? Get a good book. I've got some suggestions for men. I've got some suggestions for, for you ladies. Get a good book. Study it together. You're going to learn so much more. Some of you that are young in the Lord, find someone who's more mature in the Lord and say, hey, I need someone to teach me God's word. Would you be that person? Because we need to be a church that trains others so that they can train others to train others to train others. You see how that just keeps going? That's what we want to be. Whether you're here in Northern California or God moves you to another another country or God moves you to another state, you're going to take that training and you are going to be expected to train others also. So, number one, what kind of training? We're looking for training in studying God's word. But there's a second type of training. Look with me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The second type of training you're going to work at is purging yourself, purifying yourself of sin. To avoid sin. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Look at verse 22 with me. Flee also youthful lusts. What type of training do Christians need? We need training that purifies ourselves. It says in verse 21, If a man therefore purge himself from these, those vessels that are to dishonor, he shall be a vessel unto honor. There's some things we probably need to get rid of in our life if we're going to purify ourselves. Let's start with the people that we hang around, the friends we have. Now, Peter was right. Again, just traveling from here to North Highlands, where the men's meeting was, and back, gave us about an hour and a half, 45 minutes each way, to talk with each other. I I used to be just a little bit against social media. I'm getting to the point I just detest social media. You want to have friends? Pick up the phone. You want to have friends? Invite someone over to your house. Invite someone to go to the park. Invite someone to go out to coffee. I mean, you don't need to get on the internet and look at a little box with a blinking cursor and type things into it to have friends. You don't need to get your phone and, you know, I've I've got to text this. I've got to take a picture of myself and post it. That's, you know, I've got a thousand followers and they're my friends. No, no, those people don't even know who you are. We need to have some real friendships here at Elmira Baptist Church. And it takes some effort. It takes me not being content just to get done with work at the end of the day and go home. It takes you content not just go home at the end of the day, put your feet up and say, good, I got to be ready for tomorrow. Find time to make friendships. Find peers. Men, find another fella. About your age, maybe same season of life. Make friends. Ladies, find someone your age. Make friends. It bothers me every once in a while someone will come to me, not very often, but every once in a while someone will come to me and say, I don't feel like I have very many friends here at Elmira. 
I, I, that's sort of odd to me, but let's, let's not let that be true. Let's work very diligently to make friends. Some of you do a great job at this. I don't want to, don't, don't want to hit this too hard because some of you are doing great. But some of you are content to just sit at home. Don't be that person. Make friends. So as we purify ourselves, make the right kind of friends. There's other friends who are going to lead you down the wrong path. Stay away from those people. What kind of entertainment are you indulging in? Movies, music. Uh, what you watch on YouTube or wherever you watch it, it doesn't matter. What kind of books are you reading? What do you, when you get on the internet, what kind of articles are you reading? Those have a huge impact on you. Purge yourself from those. Train yourself to avoid the sins of the flesh. But it's not just purging ourselves from those things. There's a third type of training we need. Study the Bible, purify ourselves, practice what's right. Look at verse 22 with me. Flee also youthful lusts, that we just looked at. But follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. It's not just enough to get rid of the bad stuff. What we need to do is practice doing the good stuff. I like to call this the replacement principle. I don't just quit listening to music because it's having a bad influence on me. I choose to listen to music that has a good influence on me. I don't just get rid of friends because they're having a bad influence on me. Although if you have bad friends, yes, yeah, stay away from them. I choose to have some new friends that have a good influence on me. I don't just quit reading books because they're evil. I choose to read, in my case, Christian biographies. Books about the Bible, books about God's people that encourage me. My goal, by God's grace, when we get into this new building, and it's always been a part of the plans, is to have a church library. So you can have access to good books that you can read. Because I'm a big believer that reading is good for us. You say, well, what do I read? Well, right now I have to say, well, let's just do the best we can. Maybe see me after the service. I can give you some suggestions. Maybe you can come by my house. You can borrow some books. But by God's grace, we're going to have a library where I can say, hey, listen, you need something good to read? Go over there and check something out. Don't just get rid of the bad. Practice what is right. Now let me tell you what I have found personally in my life, the most important piece to this practicing what is right, and that is meditation on God's Word. Memorizing and meditating on God's Word. Now my season of life, my besetting sins, my victories are different than your seasons of life and your besetting sins and your victories. But what I found God has used in my life is to memorize the Word of God and then just constantly think about it. Think deeply about it. Meditate on it. What does it mean? How do I live this out? What does this look like? What does it mean for me to purge myself of these, the vessels under dishonor? What does it mean to follow after righteousness, faith, charity, and peace? And then ask for God's help to live that out. So meditation. Practice what's right. Now, Here's the, here's the problem. Training takes time and training takes effort. And again, ladies, you need to pray for us men because we men are naturally lazy. Men are naturally lazy. Now, every once in a while you find a type A personality, a workaholic, that just from the time he gets up in the morning till the time he goes to bed at night is tearing his house apart. <laughs> There's people like that in our church. But most of us are just lazy. And if we can just sit and vegetate, we will sit and vegetate. Now, by God's grace, by God's grace, we've learned we have to work. 
to support our families. So we do. We go to work every day. You know, we, we earn the paycheck. We bring home the bacon. And then we expect our wives to cook it. Because, good grief, we earned it, right? We've got to get out of that mode. Because training takes time and training takes effort. And often, let's be frank, men, often we are trying to find the easiest way. There is no easy way to train. There is no easy way. I coached basketball, and I, I'm a big believer, having uh, Bobby Knight recently passed away, read about his, his uh, a successful coaching career, John Wooden's successful coaching career, both of these men believed very strongly in conditioning. And you know how you get in good conditioning for basketball? You run a lot. And my players would come to me, they'd say, Coach, we love the drills, but we just don't want to run. Do you, I said, do you want to win? Yeah, we want to win. We just don't want to run. That, that's not the way this works. And as a Christian, you know, we say, yeah, we'll train. Okay, well, I need you to do this. No, no, not me. I'm busy right? If you don't put in the time and you don't put in the effort, you can't do the training. I'm going to paraphrase a man who said, my friend, don't imagine that there is some new way to stay on fire for God. There is no church, no technology, no Bible translation, no technique to walk with God. It's a path that our spiritual forefathers knew well. It's a path of constant focus on God of daily faithfulness, of time in the word, of earnest prayer, of tender conscience, of cross-bearing, and of humility. And that's what we don't like. We don't like to humble ourselves. We don't like to examine our own hearts for sin. We don't like to take time to pray. We don't like to spend time in God's word. Good grief, if we have to do it every day, training takes time. Training takes effort. What made past generations of Christians powerful lights and savory salts in their culture was that they took the time and the effort to train. And the reason as Christians we don't have that same impact on our culture is because we don't take a lot of time to train. Think, think about it, just in general, for American Christians. Do American Christians spend more time at church or less time at church? Yeah, it used to be that everyone went to Sunday school, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Not everyone, but a lot of people. Most churches don't even have more than one service and a Sunday school anymore. Many churches. You'd think we'd be meeting more. I mean, the culture is just headed towards hell, literally headed towards hell uh, on, on grease tracks. Why doesn't someone say, hey, let's meet more often? Because Americans, we're just too busy. Too busy with what? Well, we, we got to fo watch football, right? We got to watch the baseball playoffs. Now, I, I love watching sports. I love playing sports, but I realized in my life that watching sports in particular just fed my laziness, right? You can sit on the couch and yell at the coach. It doesn't matter. He can't hear you. Now, playing at least gives you some bodily exercise. You know, you run around and you burn off some calories and, and you keep yourself healthy. Watching sports is not the best use of your time. Now, I'm not saying watching sports is sin, but I, I'm telling you, if watching sports is keeping you from God's word, it's sin. Ask yourself, in the last week, how much time did you spend watching football? How much time in the last two weeks did you spend watching baseball? The World Series just got wrapped up. How much time did you spend watching sports? And how much time did you spend in God's word? And which one did you spend more time at? Because if we're going to train, it's going to take effort and it's going to take time. Now here's the last one, and I, I know I'm out of time, so let me just hit it quickly. 
If you want to be a soldier, if you want to be an athlete, if you want to be a farmer, it all requires endurance. How many of you know someone who's made farming their career? That, that profession to me is like torture. You work hard all year. Uh, my dad knew a rancher. He took care of prune trees. You work hard all year. You make sure things are irrigated. You make sure the trees are pruned right. You fertilize. You do everything. And then a hailstorm comes and wipes the fruit out. Or prices crash. Or the packing plant says, no, we're not going to take your prunes this year. In fact, usually if there's a really big harvest, I mean like a bumper harvest, the packing plant doesn't take them. They don't need that many. Just the year you can make a killing and finally retire and the packing plant says we'll take 50% of your crop. You know, if you don't have endurance, you quit as a farmer. You know, if you don't have endurance as a Christian, you don't get anywhere. Now, most Christians don't quit, quit. I, I, some do. Some just leave church, just gone. I, I, yes. But you know what most Christians do? We get into a comfortable apathy where we do just enough to make ourselves look good. We feel pretty good about ourselves. You know, I go to church. I, I you know, help with this. I help with that, whatever. But we don't really want it to, to, to change our lives. And that's why we're not savory salt and we're not bright lights in our culture. We need some Christians with some endurance. We need some Christians who realize that life is a marathon it's not a sprint. By the way, I've never run a marathon. I can't even imagine riding, running a marathon. But Peter tells us to gird up the loins of our mind and to hope to the end for the grace that has been brought into us. He's reminding us it isn't a sprint. It isn't just a one day or one year or 10 years. It takes a long time. It takes a long time. It takes a lifetime. It takes a lifetime of effort and a lifetime of quitting excuses and finding actions and, and, and going back to God and saying, God, I need more grace for today. Amen. It takes endurance. Here's the last thing it takes. And I, just let me show you two words. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. I want you to see this. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them. With them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. With them. It takes community. Soldiers never act on their own. We have this idea that they're, and I've never seen any of these movies because they're total garbage. We have this idea that soldiers are like Rambo. There are no Rambos. There are no Rambos. Even if you're a special operator and you're dropped behind enemy lines, you're always, always dropped with a team. And as a Christian, we don't have Christian commandos that are all by themselves. We need each other. I need you. I need you to pray for me. I said to someone this morning, I'm praying for you because I was. Praying. They say, we pray for you too, Pastor. I think they just felt like they ought to say something in return, and that's fine. I need you. To, I said, I need you to pray for me. I'm not super Christian. I haven't arrived at a point where I can just sit back and, and relax and take it easy. We need to pray for each other. Amen. I need you to care about me enough that if you see me doing something stupid, you say, hey, Pastor, this looks really bad. You sure you should be doing this? And I hope if I come to you and say, hey, that, that doesn't look healthy, spiritually healthy, you won't just get angry, you'll understand. Like Chuck said, it's because we love you that we'd ask you to reconsider. We need that community. Soldiers always act as a team. Most athletes, most athletes are part of a team. Now, there's few individual sports. Most times, athletes are part of a team. Most of the time, by the way, farmers are part of a larger group. They're not out there by themselves, growing crops, 
for nobody. To have a group of other farmers, a lot of these are in, in, it used to be cooperatives, farmer co-ops, right? They'd have agronomists who come by and suggest amending the soil and suggest the right fertilizers and the right watering cycles. They'd have guys who'd come through and do the pruning. They'd have other crews that come in at, at uh, harvest time and help them with the harvest. We need to be part of a community with them, it says. We need to be part of a community. And in the case of Christians, we call this community church. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. How are you doing at training? How are you doing? Are you taking seriously your commitment? Are you taking seriously your training? Are you convinced that by faith, God's going to give you grace to endure to the end? And are you part of that community? Father, thank you for the men who gave testimony earlier this evening about your work in, in our hearts during the two-minute warning, and I, I was blessed also. And I want Elmira to be a place where people get trained and they go out and they serve you, where we become soldiers in your army. We become husbandmen, we become farmers in your field, where we work together as a team to accomplish your will in Elmira, in Vacaville, in Dixon, in Fairfield. Lord, we pray for that. Pray that you'd give these that have heard this message tonight, give them a vision for training, the time, the effort, the commitment, the endurance it takes to train, to be a Christian soldier, to be a Christian athlete, to be a Christian farmer. Give us a vision for teaching others, whether it's in the one-on-one -on -one times we have with people, whether it's calling us to take on classes. Father, show us where we're making excuses instead of making plans to obey you. Show us where our priorities are out of order and we need to rearrange them so that the important things get done. We need your intervention in our lives, in our church, and we certainly need your intervention in our nation. Lord, we want that revived and restored and renewed and revitalized relationship with you that leads us to greater things, that leads us to bigger projects, that leads us to, 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 to more, a, a, a brighter impact in our uh, community. We need your help. We need your grace. We need faith. So we ask for it in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.